Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. 2 Kings 21 and 14. So, here's the Lord saying, So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. You ever feel plundered? You ever feel like people are taking advantage of you? You ever feel like every time you turn around, somebody's taking something from you? I remember this gal in uh, Bible college. She was so out of her mind. And we asked her in class one day, what's the wrong? She goes, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Every time I turn around, somebody's taking something from me. And I'm just tired. And I said to her, as nicely as I could, I said, whose steam are you running on, yours or God's? Because if you're running on your steam, yeah, you're going to be tired because you don't have much. If you run on God, you're going to have forever steam. But people are always taking advantage of me, taking, taking, taking from me. I said, well, maybe that's because there's something in your life that's very wrong that you need to get right. No, I'm doing everything right. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. People don't realize God hands them over to plunderers. You feel taken advantage of? Get on your knees and say, God, what did I do wrong? Show me, I'm sorry. My life is blessed right now. I've been through the plunder time before, but right now I'm very, very blessed. I'm so thankful. What are you doing? Now, God just referred to Judah as his inheritance, which I find absolutely amazing because we like to think of God in terms of us receiving eternal life from him as our inheritance. My inheritance is eternal life. But God said his inheritance God gets an inheritance. Did you know that? I think I've covered this before. God gets an inheritance. His inheritance, what is God's inheritance? It's his people. An inheritance is something that you get. When we come to belief in Jesus Christ, God gets us. He gets to receive us into his eternal uh, dwellings. And so he called them his inheritance, his people. But Judah had become so corrupt that God basically said, if this is what my inheritance has become, I'd rather not even have it. Whoa. And I'm thinking of the times when, when the Lord said that he regretted making mankind. He regretted making us at one point. So God forsook his inheritance. He said, I'd rather turn you over to your enemies to, for you to be stolen from and abused than take you the way you are. Ray, you're all fire and brimstone today. I'm sorry. I didn't write the book. Take it up with God. Now, Judah had already been through judgments before. We've seen that. But this judgment that's coming, 
it's going to be the worst one so far. It's going to be bad. So since Judah rejected God so hatefully, which is what they were doing, God basically said, if you hate me so much, but you love what your enemies provide, then that's what you are going to get. If this is what my inheritance is, I don't want it. So now if you thought Manasseh had already done enough damage as it is, let's look at 2 Kings 21, 16. It says, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he had committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Now, I like it when the Bible says that, isn't it written down? Because you know somebody's going to read this and say, there ain't no way a king would have been that stupid. And the Bible says, yeah, it is. Look it up in the public record. It's right there. (laughs) So the shedding of innocent blood, it says here. Remember how Manasseh had killed his own children. And he's the leader. He's the government. He's the king. And so all the other people under his leadership were going to adopt the same murderous worship stuff And that's how it says he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with innocent blood. Because people were killing their children. The murder of people's own children became national policy. Are y'all hearing me? There's a word that comes to mind. The word abortion. It was a policy. It was endorsed. It was backed by the government leadership. The government said, it's okay to kill your children. And so they did from one side of Jerusalem to the other, from one end of the land to the other, all because of King Manasseh. You let that sink in for a minute and the fact that God was very angry about it. I am not playing politics with you. I'm just telling you what's in the book. So, I want to show you a parallel story from 2 Chronicles on what happened to Manasseh because of his pushing all this mess. 2 Chronicles 33.11 says, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Bye-bye. You're done. Now, for his sins, Manasseh was taken as a prisoner. I mean, you'd think he would have learned that from some kings that happened before him that got taken off as prisoner too. It's like, you know what? I remember what God did to them other guys. I, should, I, I shouldn't be acting like this. I remember what happened to my forefathers before me. But no, that's why Manasseh is a moron. He, didn't ha- he was so ignorant. He didn't think about what happened before. He forgot his history. And when you forget your history, you're what? You're doomed to repeat it. So what was God's warning? that he gave his prophets to say. The warning was, I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. I want you to realize that God did not simply just allow Babylon to carry Manasseh off. Well, you know, Babylon's over there. I'll, I'll, I'll not step in the way. That's not how it happened. God caused this to happen. God warned it was coming, and he literally orchestrated all of this to go down. God literally used the Babylonians as instruments of Judah's judgment. God uses unbelieving enemies of of his people to judge his people when they mess up. Y'all remember 9-11? I thought that would scare everybody back into church. It did for a little bit. Not long. You think God didn't see 9-11 coming? 
You think it snuck under his radar? No. Think God caused it? Oh, Ray, that's the most un-American thing. Well, you think it was the most un-Israelite thing to say for their leader to be taken by hooks and, th- and thrown off into, into jail somewhere? Why do we think we're Americans, we're so great and wonderful that we're exempt from everything else that God ever did to his own people? If God would do this to his own people, the Jews, why do you not think he would do this to Gentiles? Come on. We've got to be biblically minded. He didn't just allow this. God orchestrated it. Use the Babylonians as instruments of judgment. He did not allow it. God caused this to happen because he said he would do it. He said it's coming. Friends, we do have a loving God. Don't, be, don't misunderstand me. We do have a loving God. But at the same time, we have to understand that our sin provokes God's wrath. And God is no pushover. He will do something about it. 2 Kings 21, 18. So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Amon reigned in his place. Now this verse gives a special, what do you call it, insult to injury here. Because Manasseh was not buried in the royal tombs where Judah's other kings had been laid to rest. He, he was not given that. He was stripped of royalty and buried in his garden. Now kings, when they died, they had royal funerals and royal tombs. and It was all big. Just go put him in his garden. You see how he was stripped of royalty? I remember when Queen Elizabeth died not too long ago. We got to see on TV all the grand royal honor and all the, 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 the guys on horses and marching in the streets. I mean, the Brits, they pulled out all the stops because she was royalty. It was huge. And I watched it on TV to get a sense of what royalty looks like because as an American, I don't know what royalty is, but the British do. So when she died, I watched it. It was huge. But Manasseh was denied all of that. He was stripped of royalty and he was denied every bit of honor that he could have had. That's a big one. He could have had it. But they said, no, if only he had obeyed the Lord. If only he had obeyed the Lord, he could have had royalty. 2 Kings 21, 19. Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, here we go, and I'm going to move on. His mother's name was Mesholameth. Man, I feel like I did something awesome right there. Mesholameth, Mesholameth. Everybody say it. Oh, his mother's name was Mesholameth, the daughter of Haraz of Jotbah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. So here is like father, like son. You'd think after watching what went down, he'd have got it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe this was moron Manasseh, moron times two. Now, Manasseh, he ruled for well over 50 years, and that was very rare for a wicked king. Typically, your good kings lived long and your bad kings lived short. One of them, uh, he reigned for like a week or something like that. So he, he, was, he ruled for over 50 years. 
I sometimes wonder why Manasseh was permitted to live for so long. Why did he get a long reign? And I think possibly it's because God wanted to demonstrate his long-suffering patience to Judah. With that long reign, I'm waiting on my inheritance. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Friends, how long did God wait for you to straighten up and get it? I tell you, he waited decades for me. Long time. But he demonstrated long-suffering patience towards Judah because they were under a specific covenant with him. This isn't just anybody. This is Judah. So Ammon became king at age 22, but he was dead just two years later. You can't even make halfway through high school in that amount of time. He was dead in two years. God had showed his patience for Manasseh, but for Ammon, poof. I think something's going on here. Patience, 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 patience. I'm done now. You see this? It seems apparent that God just was not going to permit any more of this kind of trash sitting on the throne. 2 Kings 21, 23. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. See, there's no peace anywhere. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. So here you go again. He was denied royalty. He wasn't put in the royal tombs. Now his, his uh, execution here, it seems like when I'm kind of thinking it through, that Ammon's officials tried to prevent more judgment from coming upon the nation. So it seems like maybe they felt if they killed Ammon, then that might stop all the trouble. God already issued the warning. You can't stop it now. Well, let's take out the bad king. Maybe it'll make things even out. Didn't work. So this, to me, looks like a desperate measure by people that were fed up, tired of all the mess that was going on, even though they didn't understand their sin is what brought it. Now, I see a a parallel in our country today. People out there, everybody, even unbelievers, they are fed up. They're sick and tired of what's going on. And only the believers understand why it's going on. The unbelievers say, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of this. Just get that man out of office and we'll be fine. Just get our guy in office and we'll be fine. They don't realize this is judgment from the Lord on this land. No, get our guy in. Take our guy, that guy out. You're not going to fix that. Not without repentance, you're not. It looks like a desperate measure from people that were tired of it. And just like his dad, Amon was buried, stripped of royal honor. He died a shameful death. That was a shameful way to end. It was a bad ending for him. So for Amon to die at age 24, his son had to be pretty young if he was dead at 24. And chapter 22, when we get into it, It says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Imagine making an eight-year-old king. That doesn't sound like that's going to turn out too well. To make an eight-year-old, they already want everything as it is. Now you're going to make him a king? But in fact, Josiah turned out to be a really good king. So we're going to see some good things come back. Again, after 50 years, it's going to be a good king. So in fact, in the next chapter, and I just want to get you ready for what's coming... Josiah, I'm not sure what age he's at, but 
He's going to find a book of God's law in the temple. He's going to actually read it. And after he reads it, it's going to distress him so severely at how badly his fathers had violated it. He's going to be so upset at the way his forefathers had acted. And friends, that is going to be a beautiful picture of repentance. When we mess up repeatedly and then we realize what we've done wrong, it should distress us. God, I am so sorry. And we're going to get to see that in King Josiah. So that's going to be awesome coming up. Good stuff when he's going to put some things back in order again. But one of the biggest problems I see here in chapter 21, the problem that bent me the most is how Manasseh set up altars to false gods in the temple of God. In the temple. You're already setting them up the high places everywhere. He set the high places. He put Baal worship back on. He's already doing all this stuff. But of all places, you had to put that Asherah pole and those altars in the temple. You can play everywhere you want all over. But in the temple, for crying out loud, not there, not there. I want to show you that if you have faith in Jesus, I want to show you who you are. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Look what happened to Manasseh. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Holy means you're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to do like everybody else. You're not supposed to act like them. The temple is for God. If you are a true, genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you are the temple. But if you trust in other things besides God, such as money, that's the big one today. Oh, if I just had enough money. People trust in their money. I've seen, God bless them, I've seen some people, they trust in relationships. Well, I don't have a girlfriend. And they can't function. Because they ain't got a girlfriend or ain't got a boyfriend. They trust in all these other things. If you trust in other things aside from God, then you have just put false altars up in the temple of God. How disgusted were you at Manasseh for doing that? Now, how disgusted am I at myself for the times I did it? Remember the temple is reserved for the worship of the Lord God of Israel only. Just Him. That's what holy is. Just Him. If we're disgusted with Manasseh for putting false altars in the temple, then why aren't more people disgusted with how Christians are doing the same thing today? Because they do. Supposed Christians. The Bible says that drunks, fornicators, adulterers, is a long list of sins. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And today people are doing those very things while claiming that they're saved by Jesus. I would say most of the, the Christian population out there that says I'm saved by Jesus are involved in fornication, which is sexual activity outside of marriage. They're all doing it. The Bible says, you're not getting in. 
But I'm saved with Jesus. I said the prayer. I said it at church. I had tears and everything. Really? Why are you putting false god altars in the temple then? It's for God only. That's not being holy. If you're saved, friends, you're holy. Right? Setting up false altars in God's temple demonstrates a hatred of God's authority. Oh, but I'm saved. But if you're doing this, you hate God. You know, when I go through these passages and and, and I talk about these things to people, you see the confusion hit them. God says, I'm going to bring judgment. and No, it's going to be unlike anything you've ever heard before. It's going to tingle people's ears. And I I tell this to your, your little play around goofball Christians and they go, what? I showed a guy at a coffee shop one day where God said, Esau, I hated. And he goes, I don't know. I'm going to have to pray on that. I said, it's right there. Well, no, no, he didn't like it. I said, no, 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 wait a minute. Don't run away. That's what everybody does. They taught you to run away. Come here and look at this. And I made him look at it. He had a Bible. I said, open your Bible. I made him open it. I said, what does it say? He says, Esau, I hated. He goes, but... Nah, I'm going to have to think about that. I said, you are literally telling me you're not believing what God's word says. And he didn't get it. I was astounded as much as he was. They demonstrate a hatred of God's word, a hatred of God's authority. And today, most supposed Christians, they will listen to every word that comes out of the media's mouth, but most will never listen to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I don't understand that. They'll give that TV their life. And they won't ever crack the book. When I was teaching the college kids at the church that I used to belong to, I said, okay, y'all remember reading the book of John? They go, no. I said, what? How long have you been a Christian? My whole life. How old are you? 20? You ever read the book of John? No. You ever read any book? No. You ever read one chapter of any book? No. You've been a Christian for 20 years and you've never read one chapter of one book of the Bible ever? I took my lesson, I threw it on the ground, I said, open up John 1, and that was the first time I learned to preach verse by verse. I dragged them through the whole thing. I could not believe what I was hearing. You have bet your eternal destiny on a king you don't even know. How can you know him? Supposed Christians have put false God altars in the temple. And do you not think that this provokes the wrath of God? If I claim to belong to my wife, Anna, and her alone, but if I go and I mess around with every other woman in town, except with her, do you think she's going to like that? That's going to provoke her wrath and rightfully so. If I act like that, it's going to make her mad and it's going to make me into a big fat faker. Most of Christianity today is a big fat fake. And if you're doing what they do, you're a fake too. You've got to know the word of God. That's why we read it. I want you to know God's word. Don't just do what they do. You do what they do. You're just as lost as them. So if you're into what God's word says is willful sin, if you're actually committing what God's word says is willful sin, I got some words for you. You better stop. you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. 
Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.